Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Robert Taylor in the house in Cypress Canyon. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those better-tasting California wines enjoyed by more Americans than any other wine. Yes, right now, a glassful would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you Robert Taylor in a remarkable tale of... Suspense! Merry Christmas, Jerry. How's the real estate business? <laughs> Kind of early with your Greek, not you, Sam? Well, I got to get them in sometime. I may not see you again until next Christmas. <laughs> this real estate racket gets any crazy. I'll be dead by next Christmas. <laughs> I'm glad you could get up here, though, Sam. What's on your mind, Jerry? Uh, you, you'll probably shoot me when you hear it, Sam, because I'm probably nuts. But, but doggone it, you're a detective and you're my pal, and I just had to tell somebody. Well, you sound like it's serious. That's just it. I, I don't know what it is, Sam, but... Now, listen, you... You know, we're agents for a group of houses up in Cypress Canyon. Mm-hmm. Those places that were started before the war and never got finished. Oh, yeah. All I got in were the foundations, just mm-hmm. concrete and a couple of beams. Well, they've been finished now. In fact, I'm putting up the for rent on the last of them today. Well, what do you want? Police protection from the mob? Yeah. Listen, Sam, this house that I'm talking about, it's got a number now, uh, 2256. But before, when the men went back to work on it about three months ago, well, they just started when the foreman on the job brought me a shoebox that he'd found up on a beam. And this box had a, a what do you call it, a, a manuscript in it, a story, kind of, all written out. Yeah. Well, he gave me the thing. I read it. I didn't think much about it. I put it in my desk. But the other day, and I happened to drive by there, I saw the number on the house and what the house looked like. I thought of this manuscript. And, well, I don't like it. That's all. There's something funny about it. What's funny about it? Well, it, Mind you, this thing was found in an unfinished house in Cypress Canyon. House was only just started building. All right. Well, listen, Sam, I want to read it to you if you've got the time. Then you'll see what I mean. All right, shoot. Now, here's how it begins. To whom it may concern, my reasons for setting down on paper what follows here will be abundantly clear. Will be abundantly clear to anyone into whose possession it may fall. First, let me say that I'm a very ordinary person. My name is James A. Woods. I'm 35 years old. By profession, a chemical engineer. My wife, Ellen, was a schoolteacher when I met and married her in Indiana seven years ago. There's nothing in the past life of either one of us to suggest remotely any cause or reason for the dreadful thing that has invaded our lives. Our married life has been in no way different from that of millions of other average, reasonably happy, and congenial families. Three months ago... I was ordered by my firm to take charge of a rather minor project in Los Angeles, uh, Hollywood to be exact. 
The order was a sudden one. There'd been no time to secure accommodations, and conditions being what they are, the inevitable result was that until day before yesterday, we'd been living in the cramped quarters of one of those characteristic California motels. Needless to say, most of our spare time had been devoted to a search for something more permanent and comfortable, but the fruits of these efforts had been financially and in every other way a geometrical progression of discouragement. Until last Saturday afternoon, only four days before Christmas, we were driving into town on our way to a movie when Ellen saw it. Jim, look. What? That sign in front of that real estate office. Oh, yeah. But yeah. don't you see what it says? For rent, furnished, two-bedroom house, close in, immediate occupancy. Yeah, uh-huh. Aren't you going to stop? Oh, Ellen, you know a sign like that. It mean right out in plain sight in front of a real estate office. Oh, yeah, but Jim. You know they want $600 a month. We'll never know until we ask. If it's any good at all, there are probably 50 people fighting for it right back there now. Well, honey, there's no harm in trying, now, is there? You really want to go back? Oh, it's probably foolish, but what can we lose? Okay. Oh, darling, come on, cheer up. How do you know? Maybe our luck will change. Maybe fate's going to give us a nice new house for a Christmas present. Sorry to bother you, but we just happened to see that for rent sign outside. Oh, yeah. Uh, I hung it outside just this minute. Is is the house available? Why, sure, sure it is. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is James A. Woods, and this is my wife, Ellen. How do you Wow. Looks like it's fixing to rain. Yes, so it does, doesn't it? agent had just been authorized to rent the place by mail that morning, and he'd hardly had time to look at it himself and put up his sign when we drove up. It was just an ordinary little California house about halfway up Cypress Canyon, number 2256, just an ordinary, undistinguished little house. The agent didn't know much about it. Construction on it had been stopped by the war, and it had just been completed and furnished lately. It had been vacant while somebody's estate was being settled, and now it was owned by a bank in Sacramento. Of course, we didn't. We got this key in the mail along with the authorization to rent. Only one there is. Of course, you can have duplicates, May. Seems to stick a little. Oh, no, there it is. Doesn't sound as though that door had ever been opened. Well, a little oil on the hinges will fix that all right. Oh, sure. Now, now here's your living room. Furniture's a little dusty, of course. You've got to expect that. It's good furniture, though, you see? Benson Brothers. Yes, Now, over here's a little den. Panel, you see? Radio, fireplace. Really a very attractive little room, particularly for a man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now the, the bedroom's off the living room here. Everything's all on one floor, you understand? Uh-huh. It's uh, quite nice, I think. Yes. Uh-huh. You can see you get the morning sun here. There's a view of the canyon through these front windows. That's about all there was to it. It wasn't the best place in the world. It was small and badly built, but what would you have done? We took it with as little inspection as that. It was the Saturday before Christmas. And the very same evening, we were struggling up the steps from the road with suitcases and boxes and armloads of clothes and all the endless bric-a-brac that people collect and never know they have until they move. Ellen began unpacking, and I began moving things around and taking the worst of the pictures off the wall, doing 
All the little things that everybody does when they move into a new place and try to give it something of their own. Oh, you know, it's a roof over our heads for Christmas. That's more than we ever thought we'd get, isn't it? Now, what in the world are we going to do with those two pictures? Well, why don't we just leave them where they are? Jim, we can't. They're too awful. Well, all right. Put them in the closet, then. I can't. Both the closets are jammed full. No, I mean the other one in the little alcove off the den. At least there's a door there. I suppose it's a closet. Yeah. I don't know. That isn't a commentary on the housing problem, huh? A woman moving into a house without even knowing where all the closets are. Take the pictures down, will you, honey? Bring them in here. Okay, okay. Oh, I guess you'll have to help me with this door. I can't get it open. Let me see it. Well, of course you can, silly. It's locked. Where are those keys we found on the desk? Oh, here they are. Mm-hmm. Nope. Not this one. Sure, this one won't work. Nope. Feels like an awful solid door for a closet. Oh, and that's one solid door in the house. This one won't do it either. Well, we'll just have to get a locksmith up here on Monday. I'll put the pictures behind the desk, okay? Yeah, yeah, all right. Jim, if you could just help me move this armchair, huh? Oh, Ellen, will you let it go until tomorrow? You know what time it is? Oh, but, honey, I'd like to get the place looking just a yeah, little bit. Yeah, but it's bit. almost midnight. In fact, it's, it's exactly... What was that? <laughs> Tomcat, I guess, on the brush somewhere. Sounded near. <laughs> oh, hope that doesn't go on all night. Well, there's much we can do about it. Come on, Ellen. I'm dead tired. All right, Jim. Where'd you put the toothpaste, honey? Right in the medicine cabinet. Oh, yeah. Jim, we ought to get some firewood tomorrow. You know, a fire in that living room would make all the difference Make's in the world. Dead. Sunday. Well, Monday then. Jim, I think red curtains are what we need, don't you? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, just at least for the living room. Anyway, the ones in there now have just got to come down. Yeah, I suppose they do. What do you think of red? Well, I guess it's all... Jim. That's some tomcat. Jim, it sounded in the house. Oh, now, how could it be in the house, Ellen? We've been over every inch of the house. Except that closet. Now, how could a cat or anything else be in the closet that's been locked up for over a year? I don't know. Uh, probably under the house. A wildcat or mountain lion or something. I hear they have them in California. Jim, I don't like well, it. Well, neither do I like it, but there's nothing we can do about it tonight. Oh, maybe we ought to call somebody, the police or oh, some neighbor. Oh, don't be silly, Ellen. You act like a kid. Come on, let's go to bed, huh? Oh, all right. I suppose it is silly. Jimmy, did you lock the door? Yeah, yeah. Can I turn out the lights now? Yeah. All right. Good night, Ellen. Sleep tight. Good night, Jim. I don't know what time it was, perhaps an hour, perhaps only a half hour later. My mind was in that hazy borderland between sleep and a dream that's still part of consciousness. Then I was awake. Helen, are you all right? Yes. Did you have a nightmare or something? No. I heard it too. Well, that didn't sound like any cat. Put on the light. Yeah. It, it seemed to be out there, Jim, in the house somewhere. Well, I'm going to look into this. Jim, you be careful. Come on. Where's, where's my shotgun? In the den, I think. Jim. What? There, there's something wet. What? Wet? Running from under the closet door. Dicky. Uh, Ellen, don't. Don't touch it. I had to. Jim, it's blood. 
Suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Robert Taylor in the house in Cypress Canyon. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Robert Taylor as James A. Woods with Kathy Lewis as his wife, Ellen, in the house in Cypress Canyon. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. not be too difficult to understand from the foregoing why I've taken the pains to set down in writing the events related here. To find in one's newly rented house a closet which cannot be opened is in itself certainly no great cause for alarm. But to be awakened in the stillness of the night by unearthly cries within that house, to find oozing from under that closet door something that is unquestionably blood, that's another matter. Perhaps others might have been braver than we. Suffice it only to say that we got out of the house in something very close to a panic and only returned when we had the moral support of two stalwart Los Angeles police. You uh, just moved in here, you say? That's right, officer. You can, you can see we're still unpacking. And the place has been empty right along before that? Yeah, I, I don't know much about that part of it. You could check all that with a real estate agent, though. Well, uh, <clears throat> where is this closet? Oh, it's it's right in here, officer. And and the blood, the blood is... Where? Where's the blood? Jim? I swear to you, there was blood on the floor less than an hour ago. I, I saw it. Uh-huh. It was running out from under that door. We heard that noise, and we got up, and then we saw it. The, the door was locked. Locked, huh? Oh, no. Well, it seems to be all right now. Hey, uh, you folks aren't trying to be funny, are you? Is, isn't there anything in it? No, ma'am, there is not. Look, officer, we're reputable people. You can call my firm. They'll tell you all about me. There's nothing wrong with this closet. Walls are solid. No trap doors. Do you think I'm lying? I didn't say that, mister. Oh, you probably did hear some sort of noise and you got a little panicky. What about the blood? It it got on my hand. Isn't there now, is it? Yes. Where? I I feel it. (laughs) Now, you folks just take it easy. You're liable to hear all kinds of noises up in these canyons at night. You're uh, from the east, you say? Uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, officer. Ah, that's all right. That's all right. If you have any real trouble, call on us any time. All right. Well, good night. Good night. Good night. Hey. <laughs> you ought to have this door fixed. That's enough to scare you. Yeah, we're uh, we're going to have it fixed. much about it after that. There wasn't much that could be said. The next day I went down to a lot and bought a little Christmas tree and some trimmings and we tried to pretend we were cheerful, but there was an uneasiness between us that had never been there before. Ellen seemed tired and listless. Several times during the day I noticed her washing her hands with a a brush, scrubbing the one that had touched the blood. That night we each took a sleeping pill and went to bed. Sometime after midnight, when I was suddenly wide awake and staring into the darkness. In some way, I, I knew at once and instinctively what had awakened me. Ellen was not in her bed nor in the room. 
The nameless thing I feared gripped at my heart until I could scarcely breathe. I opened the bedroom door and started through the house, putting on every light that I could find. There was not much to search, but I searched thoroughly. The, the living room, the kitchen, bathroom, then even the garage. And all the time, the dread of looking where I knew at last I must look. For I think I knew from the very first time where I'd find her. It must have been a full minute that I stood before that closet door. Then, I opened it. She stood there rigid, her arms at her sides, her fingers extended like claws. Her hair was over her face, her eyes stared out of it. Her lips were drawn back in a grin like an animal at bay. For a moment, I was frozen with the horror of it. I stretched out my hand. Mm. Very deliberately, she turned her head and sunk her teeth until they met into the flesh of my forearm. I'd raised my hand to strike at her, but... Already she'd relaxed her hold and gone utterly limp. She would have fallen unless I'd caught her. I carried her into the bedroom and laid her on the bed. Strangely, at that moment, my only thought was how I might revive her. Until I saw that it was it was not a faint, but a sleep that she'd fallen into. Sleep as deep and heavy as though she'd been drugged. And so I left her. But for me, that night, there was no sleep. Yes, Ellen? Oh. What are you doing up so early? Oh, I, I got a little restless. Went out to make some coffee. Oh. Oh. I had the most wonderful sleep. And I feel so rested. Do you? Mm-hmm. Jim. What? What's the matter with your arm? Oh, I I just heard it. Oh, honey, it's... It... Terribly swollen. Let me see it. No, it's all right, Ellen. Oh, it isn't all right. You've got to see Dr. Wesley right away. Sure, I, I will. No, I now will. you promise me, Jim, that you'll go the first thing this morning. How'd it happen? Why, oh, uh, th- th- there was a dog. Dog? Yeah, I, I heard him trying to chew through the screen door. I went out to chase him away, and he bit me. Well, you mean there's all that racket, and I didn't even wake up? No, Ellen, you, you didn't even wake up. It was clear to me that Ellen knew nothing of what had transpired the night before. I went to my office that morning and made a pretense of going over routine business, if only to restore my mind to some semblance of calm by the sight and sound of common, familiar things. Pain in my arm had become a persistent, dull throbbing. I made a late appointment with Dr. Wesley. He treated my arm with something of an arched eyebrow, and he said, Well, I've never seen anything quite like it before. That is such a rapid onset of infection. It was dark when I left his office. I hadn't realized it was so late. Driving home, my car seemed seemed sluggish until I saw the needle on the dashboard and realized that I was pushing it to the utmost of its speed. I was racing home to prevent, prevent something before it was too late, before the darkness conspired against me. Somehow I already knew with certainty that it was the darkness and the night that I had to fear. The curves of the canyon seemed endless. And then the cold fear leaped up inside me. My house, too, was dark. I 
going slowly up the stone steps in the road, looking, praying for some sign of light or light. There was none. The house was empty. Ellen was gone. I, I looked with the same self-torturing thoroughness. And in that closet, first of all, knowing as I did so that it was hopeless. And so, alone in that empty house, I waited. Powerless and helpless now. Deadened in thought and will, empty as the house itself, save only for the overwhelming sense of a terrible foreboding. For some time in the early hours of the morning, I snapped on the radio, shortwave. Why? Surely a minor question now. I only know that I did. And then I heard it. Car 58, car 58, go to Laurel Canyon, the 4,000 block. Reports that a man has been injured or attacked. Conditions thought to be critical. Ambulance will follow. That is all. I was there almost before the police, edging my way through the little crowd, staring down at the man lying there in his white uniform under the street light. Yeah, the milkman, poor guy. I heard him scream, but when I got here, just like this. Is all right, stand song. back, stand oh, back. No. Please, please stand back. Well, you again. I, I heard it on the radio. I, I live just down the road. Yeah, yeah, I remember. What, what happened? Well, take a look. Maybe you can tell us. He was dead. And he was lying on his back. And his throat had been torn out as though by the fangs of some wild animal. It is now Christmas Eve. Or rather, Christmas morning, for it's a little after midnight. I've been waiting here, here in the stillness of this empty house for nearly 24 hours, waiting for the end. Already once tonight, I've heard that dreadful wailing cry somewhere in the hills. I've nailed up the closet door, but that I, I know is childish, useless. My arm is horribly swollen and turning black, but that's nothing. It's another end that I foresee is as surely as other men foresee the rising of the sun. I hear the cry again. It's nearer now. I shall leave these notes in a sealed envelope and put it in a shoebox in the hope that someone will give credence to these dark and terrible events, if indeed such nameless horrors can ever yield to mortal understanding. As for myself, I feel no longer any fear or even sorrow. Only a desire that the end and the thing that I must do may come soon. And it will be soon, I know. Yes. But there is someone at the door. Someone at the door. Huh. What do you make of it, Sam? <laughs> What a yarn. But what of it? That's what I thought. Now, listen, that's not quite all of it. Huh? Clip to it's a newspaper clip. Listen. Hollywood, December the 26th. Police reported what was apparently a case of murder and suicide in Cypress Canyon sometime in the early hours of the morning. The victims were James A. Woods, the chemical engineer, and his wife, Ellen. Preliminary investigation indicates that Mrs. Woods was killed by the blast of a shotgun in the hands of her husband, who then turned the weapon upon himself. That she fought desperately for her life, however, was evidenced by the disorder of the room 
and the severe lacerations inflicted upon her husband about the neck and arms. This is the second tragedy to be reported in Cypress Canyon within 24 hours, the other being the unexplained death of Frank Polanski, a milkman. Well, no such murders or whatever they were ever occurred, if that's what's worrying The clipping, Molly. Have those things printed up, you know. No, no, it's not that, Sam. That story was found in an unfinished house in Cypress Canyon. No number, no nothing, just a framework. Uh-huh. Now that house is finished. When I drove by it today... But that's what stopped me, Sam, because it all fits. Now that it's finished, it is the house in the story, the same construction, the same vines and creepers on the lawn, even the same number. So what, a guy who knows roughly that this house is going to be light writes a yarn and loses it or something? Did he know the place was going to be listed for rental today, the Saturday before Christmas? (laughs) Jerry, coincidence. Two bits you find the guy next door is a ghost story writer or something, and he's been wondering for a year what happened to that thing he wrote. Okay. Okay, coincidence. Well, I, I'm sorry I bothered you. <laughs> Don't be silly. I liked it. It's a good yarn. Uh, that the uh, parent sign you were talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to put it up outside now. Uh-huh. Well, so long, Jerry, and Merry Christmas again. Yeah, well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I guess I was kind of silly, all right. <laughs> Listen, when a guy named uh, whatever it is, Woods, with a wife named Ellen, comes in to rent that place from you... Then you can start worrying. <laughs> yeah. Well, so long, Sam. So long, Charlie. Come in. Oh, we're sorry to bother you, but we just happened to see that for rent sign outside. Yeah, I hung it out just this minute. Is, is the house available? Oh, sure, sure it is. Let me introduce myself. My name is James A. Woods. And this is my wife, Ellen. How do? Wow. Looks like it's fixing to... Yes, it does, doesn't it? Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, selected for your pleasure from the world's greatest reserves of fine wine. Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. 
Roma wines taste better because only Roma selects from the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. And now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, present... Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines brings the MGM star, Miss Susan Peters, in They Call Me Patrice. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines. Those better-tasting California wines enjoyed by more Americans than any other wine. For friendly entertaining, for delightful dining. Yes, right now, a glass full would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you Susan Peters in a remarkable tale of... Suspense! It was on the train that I first met Patrice. It was all over and done with, and I was on my way back to San Francisco. Not that I cared much just then where I was going, but... At least I had friends in San Francisco, and it would be easier there as long as I had to start out from scratch again anyway. She was one of those friendly, trusting, wide-eyed girls who give you their life history at the drop of a hat. Besides, she was happy. She wanted to talk. She was a bride. My, that was a good dinner. Do you think I'll ever be able to cook a meal like Aunt Hugh? You can't do better than that. It's the divorce courts for you, young lady. <laughs> Why, Mr. Hazard, I thought it was a wonderful dinner. And thank you. Oh, forget it. Nice to have you with us. Hugh, I think I'll step into the ladies' lounge here and do a little primping. I always feel, feel so messy on these trays. Okay, I'll meet you back in our seats. You want to come with me, Helen? All right, yes. Well, tomorrow when we arrive, the worst will be over. Hugh says I'm silly, but I can't help being nervous. Nervous? About meeting his people. His brother and his mother, that is. His dad is dead. They're terribly wealthy, I guess. I suppose I'm a snob. That shouldn't make any difference, should it? It's nice, though. But they'll like you, don't you worry. But sometimes I'm afraid they'll expect that nothing less than a raving beauty is good enough for their Hugh. And I know I'm not that. Don't they even know what you look like? Not even a picture. Isn't that awful? But you see, we were married in Europe. We were both working for UNRWA. And then we had a chance to get a boat right back home the next day. And all we had time to do was to send them a cable. And now I'm scared to death. Does your own family live in California? I don't have any family. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. It was a long time ago. Would you mind holding my ring while I wash? I have such a horror of losing it. It slipped down a drain in Paris once, and they had to take out the whole pipe to get it back. Oh, it's a lovely ring, isn't it? I told you we shouldn't spend so much money on a ring. But you know how men are sometimes. Oh, see what it says on the inside. Hugh and Patrice. That's nice. Try it on if you want to. Isn't it supposed to be bad luck? I mean to take your ring off. Bad luck? I couldn't have bad luck. Oh, my. My, this road is wrong. At 
first it seemed as though everything was white. White ceiling, white porcelain things around me, white uniform bending over me, the white coverlet on the bed. My hands lying there, pale and white too. Then I saw a ring on the third finger of my left hand. I brought it up before my eyes. Things began to come back again. Well, how are you feeling now? How long have I been here? Almost two days. What happened? What happened to... To who? There was another girl. I was talking to another girl and then... Is she all right? Did you know her very well? Just on the train. Is she all right? No. She's... dead? Yes. Oh. Is there anyone else you want to ask about? What happened to... To him? Yes. You're going to have to be a very brave girl. Can you be? Yes. Your husband wasn't saved either, Patrice. For a long while, I just lay there thinking. I hadn't decided yet. I was just thinking... Things that she told me echoing around in my head. They're terribly wealthy. Never seen me, not even a picture. No family of my own. They're terribly wealthy. Terribly wealthy. The next afternoon, the nurse came in with a big bunch of flowers. Well, we're looking much better today. <laughs> I feel better. Where did these come from? Do you think you feel well enough to have visitors? Visitors? Of course, you don't have to. Who? Oh, can't you guess, honey? Oh, but... But I don't think that Oh, I... now, honey, it'll do you a world of good. I, I'm frightened. Frightened? But I, I... I've never seen them before. You haven't? Well, I declare. But don't you worry one little bit, honey. They're just the nicest folks you'd ever want to meet anywhere. I know they think an awful lot of you. Do they? I'll bring them in. Mrs. Hazard? You can come in now. Only just a minute or two, though. Yes, I understand. Uh, Patrice? I'm Hugh's mother. How do you do? And this is my other son, Bill. Hello, Patrice. Hello. My dear, you know, of course, we can only stay a minute this time. And I don't want to talk about anything that's painful to you. It, it's all right. I just want you to know that your loss... Our loss is something I hope we can overcome together. We both feel that, Patrice. Thank you. Now, as, as soon as you're well, in just a few days, we're going to take you home with us to Caulfield. And we want you to know that our home will be your home. Always. Oh, I... I, I don't see how... Now, I... you let us do the planning for a while, Patrice. I'm afraid you're not in very good shape for it just yet. Patrice... From everything we both know of you, we know he'd want it that way, don't we? It's hard to lose a son, as it was hard for you to lose your mother. I know. But we'll, it'll all be easier now, now that I have a daughter, and you have a mother. Do you see? I... I don't know what to say, Mrs. Hazard. Not Mrs. Hazard, dear. From now on, it's mother. I... 
You see, I... Come on, my dear. Say it. Yes. Mother. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Susan Peters in They Call Me Patrice by Cornell Woolrich. Roma Wines presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills... Suspense. Between the acts of suspense, this is Ken Niles for Roma Wines. Ten more shopping days till Christmas. And if your shopping isn't done, why not solve both your gift-giving and entertaining problems this easy, gracious way? Buy an assorted case of Grand Estate Wines. Use several bottles for gifts of outstanding distinction. Use the remaining Grand Estate wines to serve your every holiday, dining, and entertaining need. Grand Estate wines, the crowning achievement of vintner skill, are presented by Roma, America's greatest winemaker. You can give or serve Grand Estate wines proudly to anyone. For the taste excellence of Grand Estate wines bespeaks your desire to offer only the finest. Distinguish your Christmas giving and hospitality with all five Grand Estate California wines. For gracious entertaining, medium sherry, ruby port, and golden muscatel. For distinctive dining, burgundy, and sauterne. This year, say Merry Christmas smartly with Grand Estate wines. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Susan Peters in They Call Me Patrice. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. What would you have done? Don't judge me unless you've worked in a hash house or behind the counter of a third-rate department store. Scrimped and starved to keep up appearances. Don't judge me unless you've been through that. And suddenly a chance to trade it all in for security and wealth and a home. Just because somebody somewhere made a little mistake. You're the daughter-in-law of a wealthy family in California. All you have to do is keep your mouth shut and not deny it. What would you have done? I kept my mouth shut. And there were clothes and a car and a lovely room of my own. And a mother. And Bill. Bill was my brother-in-law, the brother-in-law of Patrice. Because I wasn't Helen Georgeson anymore. I wasn't the poor, bedraggled little girl who'd been divorced two months ago by a rotten leech of a husband. I was Patrice for two months. And then everything seemed to happen at once. In just one day, today, it began at breakfast this morning... More coffee, Bill? No, thanks. I have to run in a minute. You know, Patrice, I was in Paris once as a girl. Oh, many years ago. Tell me, has it changed much since those days? Changed? How can she answer that, Mother? She wasn't there when you were, so how could she know if it's different than it was then? Oh, you know what I mean. Don't be so technical. (laughs) Why, yes, it it has changed, I suppose. You and you were married there, weren't you? No, Mother. London. Don't you remember the letter with uh, some London letterhead? You mean the cable? No, dear, I remember the cable, of course. I mean the letter. 
And I'm positive it had a Paris postmark, Bill. I have it right upstairs somewhere I can show you. Well, you hardly have to do that. Patrice certainly knows where she was married. All right, Smarty, we'll see. Which was it, Patrice? London or Paris? It was London. Well, I could have sworn... But we left right away for Paris. I think what happened was that Hugh wrote the letter in London, and, well, he didn't get a chance to mail it until we got to Paris. Well, that probably was it. It's funny, I don't remember anything about London, Martin, though. Has it the morning mail. Oh, thank you, Stephen. Just put it right down here. Yes, ma'am. Oh, bills, bills, bills. And circulars. Well, here's one for you, Bill. Huh? Fred Ellis, I guess. Oh, thanks. Why, Patrice, here's one for you. For, for me? Uh-huh. It's a local postmark, too. I wonder who it could be from. I, I, I don't know. But, Patrice, where are you going? I, I just remembered. I, I think I left the bath water running. The bath water? The letter was typewritten. It was unsigned. All it said was, I know who you are. It was in the afternoon that I got the phone call. And the hours in between were almost worse than anything else that's happened. Wondering who it was that knew who I was. It was just by luck that I was downstairs when it rang. Hello? I'd like to speak to Mrs. Hazard, please. The uh, younger Mrs. Hazard. This is she. Oh. Hello, Helen. This is Steve. Steve. Well, I'm glad at least that you remember me. I was afraid that uh, under the circumstances you might have forgotten. What do you want? I want to see you. You know I can't do that. Oh, but I must. I want to hear all about it, the train wreck and everything. It can't be done. I... Now, now, Helen, I simply won't take no for an answer. You'll drive out of town along the lake road, and about five miles out on the left, you'll see a little bungalow with a green coop standing in front of it. I'll be waiting. Look, Steve, I... Helen, for your own good, I think you'd better come. In fact, I know you'd better come. I went, of course. He hadn't changed. A little more run down at the heel, a little more cynical and sardonic than usual, perhaps. But he hadn't changed. Oh, no, he hadn't changed. And uh, after I heard about the train wreck, it was comparatively simple. Oh, by the way, I identified your uh, body. You owe me something for that, at least. Owe you something? Well, don't you think so? What are you doing, mental arithmetic? I'm wondering how I could ever have married a man who'd stooped to blot me. Oh, come, come, Helen. Let's not be emotional about this. You have a very nice thing here. I don't have a thing. They have the money, but... But you do have your own bank account, don't you? How much do you want? Now, I'm going to be very fair with you, Helen. The truth is, I just needed a little. Just enough for a little business venture in Mexico. How much? Only a thousand dollars. If you've neglected to bring your checkbook with you, I have one here. A check? I said I was going to be fair, Helen. Now, don't you see, when the check goes through the bank and comes back to you with my signature on it, you'll have evidence against me. I think you called it uh, blackmail. Do you know another name for it? I think you're being a little unkind, considering that when you get that check back, you'll have uh, permanent insurance against my asking you for any more. Now, here. Make the check out to me, Helen, not to cash. The name is Stephen Jordson, if you remember. 
I remember. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, have an idea I shall make a very handsome profit on this little investment. I hope you do. And when I do, darling, I promise that you will be the first to know. That should have been enough. Enough for one day. But I might have known that it wouldn't be. I might have known if I'd stopped to think that I was only getting in deeper and deeper. There was a strange car in front of the house when I got back. I tried to come in quietly for fear someone would ask where I'd been. The family was in the library and they couldn't help but see me. Oh, Patrice. Yes, Mother. Won't you come in a minute, my dear? Uh, Patrice, do you know Mr. Winthrop? I don't believe I do. Mr. Winthrop is our attorney. How do you do? Well, sit down, Patrice. Join the party. Yes, dear. We want you to hear this. It concerns you. Well, I think I've just about done my part. The rest of it's up to you two. All right. Shall I sign now? Well, I think you'd better tell Patrice first. Don't you think she ought to know? Well, I'll tell her if you like. Perhaps I can explain it a little easier. You see, Mrs. Hazard is changing her will. Her... her will? Yes. Previously, her estate had been equally divided between her two sons. But now, since there is uh, only one remaining heir, that is Bill, she is adding a codicil providing that one half of her estate shall now go to you. Well, don't look that way about it, Patrice. You're not doing anybody out of anything. I have the business Dad left me. No. No, you mustn't do it. Why, it was Bill's own suggestion, my dear. I don't want any part of it. Don't you see? She feels that way on account of you. I know, but... (laughs) Patrice! You'd better go after her. Try to talk to her. All right. Uh, Patrice, wait a minute. Listen to me. Patrice, what in the world? Oh, it... You and your mother have been so wonderful to me. Well, why not? You're one of the family now. Oh, I don't deserve it, that's all. Listen, Patrice. Something I want to tell you. Very seriously. I'll admit that at first I... I wondered if you're coming to us. If the money had anything to do with it. I wondered about one or two other little things, but... Now I know. Because I know you, but... Changing the will won't really make any difference now because I... No, wait, Bill. Don't. You know, don't you? Bill, not yet. This isn't the time. I know it hasn't been very long, but I've got to tell you now. I love you, Patrice. I want you to marry me. Oh, Bill. Is it as bad as all that? I know I didn't say it right, but I see you every day, Patrice. I'm with you every day. I, I, I just... Why couldn't you have given me just a few more days? Then there is some hope, Patrice. I, I don't know. Patrice, is it the past? Oh, no. I've never really been in love. I've got to go now, Bill. Are you afraid I'd kiss you? I'm afraid I'll want you to. wasn't just the money, the security anymore. I'd have loved him if he'd been a pauper. This is it, he said. This was it, all right. First, I hadn't wanted to go to the dance at the country club and be stared at and asked tactful questions about Hugh. But now I was glad. Now it was pure escape from the turmoil of my thoughts, the guilt, and the indecision. Pure escape 
I thought. Well, well, I'd known you dance this well. Do I? Hasn't anyone ever told you that before? Oh, not really. Well, then I'll continue. That you're by far the most beautiful girl here. Am I? You know quite well you're perfectly aware of all this. And if you weren't, one look at the stag line would tell you. <laughs> Patrice, what's the matter? I, I must have stumbled. Stumbled? Not you. I beg your pardon. May uh, I cut in? Oh, uh, Mrs. Hazard, Mr. Georgeson. Well, this is a very great pleasure, Mrs. Hazard. Bill, I'll, I'll see you later. Right, Patrice. What are you doing here? Oh, I've been moving in quite the best circles, didn't you know? You shouldn't be dancing with me. Why not? You know why not. It's not safe. Is there anything that is for someone in your position? Leave me alone, can't you? I want to talk to you about that check. No, no, not here. I think you're right. Let's go out on the veranda. What I have to say won't take very long. Yes, I think it's much better out here. All right, Steve. What about the check? Oh, yes, indeed, yes. It's uh, quite the nicest check I've ever had. In fact, I've still got it. Aren't you going to cash it? I'm afraid you weren't thinking very clearly this afternoon, Helen. Remember I told you that once that check passed through the bank and came back to you with my signature on it, you would be holding evidence against me? Yes. Well, of course, uh, if I don't cash it, if I just hang on to it, then I'm holding evidence against you. Quite damaging evidence, do you see? What do you want now? Helen, I'm afraid I'm not interested in a mere thousand dollars. Then give it back to me and I'll give you more, whatever I can. Oh, no, Helen, no. I have no intention of giving this check back to you. But uh, do you see this envelope? Yes. You'll notice that it's addressed to William Hazard at his office so that you can't intercept it. It contains that check, and it's going into the mail tonight. You wouldn't, Steve. Oh, yes, I would, unless... Unless what? Unless you take a little drive with me that I've planned for tonight. It's not far, just to Hastings, but it's uh, just over the state line, and there's a justice of the peace there. Justice of the peace? Yes, and he's going to make us man and wife all over again. Mr. and Mrs. Stephen Jordan. Steve! No? Then I'll mail the check tonight. Why? Why do you have to do this? Mrs. Hazard, whom you've been calling your mother-in-law, can't last forever. And when she goes, of course, you'll inherit, oh, I should estimate, about $200,000. Under the law, as your husband, a third of that is mine. And for that kind of money, darling, I can afford to wait. How could you? How could you? You're the bride. I'll let you choose the time, but it must be tonight. Steve, there must be some other way. There isn't. It's tonight or I mail the check. All right. But late. It's got to be late. I see your point. Three o'clock. All right. I'll meet you at your house at three o'clock. And uh, be on time, Helen, because the United States mail is always on time. Oh, there you are, Patrice. Oh, well, good night, Mrs. Hazard. I've been looking for you. I, I wasn't too long, was I? No, no. Do you know that fellow, Georgeson? No, I, I... Well, I'm glad you don't. He's no good. Oh. It seems he's a professional gambler. Wasn't sure until tonight. But he's done some of our members out of quite a little money, including me. Bill, would you take me home? I, I'm terribly tired. Of course, of course I will. Thanks. Uh, Patrice. Yes, Bill? Have you 
thought about what I said this afternoon? Yes, Bill. Well? I... I can't give you an answer now. Will it be soon? Yes, Bill. Soon. There was nothing else to do now. I waited until the house was dark and I was sure everyone was asleep. Then I slipped out and got the gun that I'd found one day in a cupboard in the garage and drove out to meet Steve. He didn't need to worry about my being on time. I was there right on schedule. Well, well, well. Come in, come in. Anything you'd like to have before we start? Yes. I'd like to see the check. Why? Oh, I just want to make sure you still have it. Oh. All right. Here it is, right here in my coat. Helen. Helen, put down that gun. You deserve this. (laughs) You deserve every bit of it. I took the check out of his pocket and burned it in the fireplace. I threw the gun as far as I could into the lake. Then I drove home and let myself into the dark, quiet house. And although I had just killed a man, I slept like an innocent child. I just wanted you to know from me, first of all, and tell you I didn't do it. No matter how bad it looks, I didn't do it. But they know I threatened him publicly about the money he cheated me out of and the bullets were the same as for a German Luger I got in the Far East and people around town knew I had. Although they haven't found the gun yet and they found me out there, I... I'm going to have a showdown with him. A farmer that delivers milk came in just as I got there. Bill. Who? Georgeson. Stephen Georgeson. Oh, Bill. I'm afraid you'll have to come along now, Mr. Hazard. Oh, darling, don't worry. But you know I didn't do it, don't you? Yes, Bill. I know that you didn't do it. That's why I've written this. One of those things you read about in the papers. A signed confession. Oh, they've been terribly nice to me. Hired the best lawyers. They say maybe I won't get too bad a sentence. And Bill says that no matter how long it is, he'll still be waiting. But I wonder. I wonder. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A. Selected for your pleasure from the world's greatest reserves of fine wines. 
And now we bring back to our suspense microphone the star of tonight's play, one of Hollywood's finest young actresses, Miss Susan Peters. Thank you, Mr. Niles. I didn't know you cared. Why, Susan, you know very well that everyone on suspense is mad about you. But with that devoted and very uh, husky husband of yours hanging around, I'm afraid we'll have to remain just friends. <laughs> friends it is, then, Ken. And, Susan, when some of your many friends drop in so you can entertain them in the grand manner, Roma presents you with this gift basket of Grand Estate California wines. Wonderful. Your Grand Estate wines will be just the thing for the holidays. Right, Susan. There's nothing finer than Grand Estate medium sherry on any occasion. And Grand Estate Ruby Port or Golden Muscatel are perfect with dessert. Delightful with nuts or cake later in the evening. And I get all those? And more besides. Your Roma basket includes Grand Estate Burgundy and Sauternes. Proud wines that add dining pleasure and distinction to any meal. Yes, Susan, every Grand Estate wine is a distinguished limited bottling by Roma, America's greatest vintner. Every Grand Estate wine is born of choicest grapes, then guided to mellow, rich perfection of taste by the unmatched skills and resources of Roma Master Vintners. When you serve Grand Estate wines, you enjoy the crowning achievement of Vintner skill. Well, that's good enough for me, Ken. I hear that Joe Cotton is to be your star next Thursday on Suspense. That's right, and the play will be something rather special, we think. Next Thursday, you will hear the premiere of... The Thing in the Window, the very newest thriller to come from the pen of Lucille Fletcher, who has written some of our finest suspense plays, including the one which is probably the most famous of them all, Sorry, Wrong Number. Well, that I'll certainly have to mark off as a red-letter day on my calendar next week. And now, good night. I've certainly enjoyed being with you all this evening. Well, thank you, Susan Peters. And thanks to Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Yearling, for arranging for you to be with us this evening. Next Thursday, same time. You will hear Mr. Joseph Cotton as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.